good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. It is a beautiful day in Lebanon, Tennessee. Let me welcome those who are joining us online. Lots of people joining us online. I think you can look around and see lots of people are joining us online. I know lots of people are taking advantage of beautiful weather here, doing lots of different things, lots of people on trips, lots of people who are normally in this service were in the 830 service because I think they're taking advantages or advantage of things that I'm going to kind of allude to in a moment. But again, we welcome you if you're joining us online. Take a moment, if you will, uh, and comment below. Let us know where you're listening from. Let us know that you're there. Also, share this from our Facebook page to your Facebook page because it multiplies the amount of people that will be exposed to this message and our worship today right now and as they peruse maybe on your Facebook page later in the week. A couple of announcements I want to highlight this morning. These are in the little worship guide that we give you when you come in. Uh, one of those is, ladies, there are a few openings for our ladies' retreat. We can still get you in. You may not get the sweatshirt, but it's November the 3rd and the 4th. Uh, there's information about that at the information kiosk. You can pick up a brochure. You can pick up a registration form, and we can still probably get you in. We ordered a few extra shirts. We may or may not be able to get you one, but again, there was a deadline for you to be you know, in on the shirt of like the 1st of October, but again, we'll try to do what we can. But if you would like to go, it's Friday afternoon, Saturday uh, at Horton Haven. But again, all the information is available to you out at the information kiosk. Also, some of you have been asking, uh, the 100 box project will kind of kick into gear starting next weekend. Uh, we have as a church for years, about 13 or 14 years, we have taken it uh, as a project. We have uh, a local organization called Christ Christmas for All. And Christmas for All started many years ago. And their goal and their desire is to meet the needs of children in our community to make sure that they experience Christmas and get toys for Christmas and that kind of thing. Well, what happened many years ago is they were meeting the need of toys, but what they were finding was that they were having many times senior citizens, senior adults calling Christmas for All and saying, but what can you do for me? And the need was there not for toys for, for seniors or for single moms. It was for food. They were just looking to try to make it to the end of the month. So Christmas for All reached out to some local churches saying, can you help us meet this need? What I found out is that other churches said they would help meet the need, and then they didn't do it. And so I told Christmas for All 13, 14 years ago, you give us every need that you have, and we'll make sure that that need is met. So again, we're going to do it again this year. We have done as many as nine, almost 900 boxes. We've done as few as a couple of hundred. So we don't ever know where it's going to be, but I will tell you this year, uh, Benny Nolan, who was in the 830 service, he is the head of Joseph Storehouse, which is a local organization who feeds people uh, every month. They put boxes together. They give out stuff every month. I think they give out actually this week. Their needs have gone up 100%. Uh, people coming, wanting, and needing help. So we don't really know what's going to happen, but again, we want to be prepared to meet any need that is presented to us. So you'll get the information on that next week. Well, you can tell, like I said, that fall is in the air. And, you know, the thing about it is when you feel fall in the air, you just kind of notice that people start doing things that make fall realistic. I mean, you know, again, you've got the pumpkins on the porch and the corn stalks and, and the mums. And again, like I said, I was going to allude to this Oktoberfest, which is today and it was yesterday. Uh, again, a lot of people just take the opportunity to say, I'm going to be there when it opens, so I'm not going to church. And so, but again, we had some people who are here and we're grateful that they're here. So again, Oktoberfest, the corn mazes, all of, the, all of that kind of stuff, it just kind of lets you know that fall is really here, even though it's not been really, really cold yet. Now, I'll tell you when fall comes, it just reminds me that I've been a fan of flowers because, you know, flowers are the thing that help uh, bring color and bring life to landscaping and, to, and to, to your home. And I'll tell you, when it comes to flowers, you just got to know that you have to have people who know what they're doing when it comes to 
planting flowers and watering flowers and taking care of flowers. They just have to know how to do that kind of stuff correctly. Because, I mean, there are some flowers that you don't plant in the summer because there are some flowers that just can't handle the heat. And on the other side of that, there are some flowers that actually do better in the winter. Well, this past week at our home, at my house, we pulled out all of the summer flowers that we had in our beds. And and now what we've done this week is we have planted flowers that will go through the winter. And again, you just think about it. Winter is the kind of the time that I need flowers because, I mean, it's so drab and it's so dreary. And, you know, most people think that, you know, you can't wear white pants after Labor Day. Let me tell you, you can wear white pants anytime you want, okay? It does not matter. I would kind of stay away from maybe January, but again, I think you can wear white pants anytime you want. So anyway, but I need color. I need color during the winter, and and, and it's the color of flowers that helps me actually make it through the cold months. As a matter of fact, uh, even in the terrible cold that we had last year, we plant pansies because they are winter flowers, and our pansies actually made it all the way through the winter. Remember that cold spell we had December on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? It was terribly cold. I mean, it killed many of my shrubs, and my pansies were like church people. They laid down, but when it warmed up, they got back up, and they made it through the winter, and they made it until spring. Now, I have a couple of friends who are really into flowers and planting and all that kind of stuff. They're so into it that they go and they get the seeds and they plant the seeds in those little things and and they put it in their greenhouse and they grow their own flowers. But that's not me. I I call Main Street, my landscaping people, the people who do my yard, and, and they go out and they buy them from a grower and they bring them to my house and they put them in for me because I'm not that kind of person that plants things by the seeds when it comes especially to flowers. So if you want to plant flowers from seeds, you just have to go get the seeds. And you go online or you go to Home Depot or you go to Lowe's, you go to any place that offers the seeds, and and you get the seeds and you plant the seeds for the flowers that you want. That's just the process. It's just the way things work. And again, I grew up with parents who were really into planting and harvesting and all of that kind of thing. Most of us, especially my age and maybe around my age, uh, you know, those of you like me in your 30s and 40s, who, you know, you, you remember the Christmas catalog that you got from Sears? Does anybody remember that? I mean, it was that, that was like gold. Did they call it a wish book? Is that what it was called? The, the Sears wish book. Well, my parents were like that with the burpee seed catalog. And they, they just could not wait to get the burpee seed catalog. We had fruit trees, and we had three or four gardens. I mean, we, again, we, we didn't have to go to Kroger. I mean, everything was canned or frozen or put up. It was fresh. And again, every Sunday afternoon, my mother would cook, and it would be two meats, like six vegetables. Bonnie, you're probably like this. I mean, it was all, all the stuff, tomatoes cucumbers and onions, vinegar. Come on, somebody. Come on. I mean, some cornbread. Am I making anybody hungry in this place? Come on. But anyway, that's, that's the way it was. So I grew up knowing what it was like to plant and to harvest. I, I just knew that. With that in mind, I want, I want you to look at the Bible this morning because there's something really interesting that happens that most people don't even realize happens when they're actually reading the Scripture. When you think about the, the, the Old Testament, most of the Old Testament, when you read it, you start to realize that the Old Testament was written to what is called a pastoral society. A pastoral society means that, that their daily life was actually centered around flocks and herds, being out in the pasture. And you can see that in the way that, that many of the things were written. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I'm going to go to a verse that's very familiar to all of us. It's actually the 23rd Psalm, and here's what it says. This is the example of pastoral writing or the pastoral society. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now look at that. It's written to a pastoral society where the daily life revolved around the flocks and the herds. And so it was written that way so that people in that society would kind of understand. They could gravitate and they could connect with what is written. That is in the Old Testament. By the time we get to the New Testament... The Jewish people have kind of transitioned from a pastoral society where it's all about the shepherds and it's all about the herds. And now, instead, it's more of an agrarian society. It's cultivating the land. It's about farming. So when Jesus and people like Paul were writing... They knew that they had to connect with people who lived in that society. And they would write and they would talk and they would use illustrations that were actually connecting the farming society to what they were writing about or what they were speaking about. Let me give you an example. Galatians chapter 6, here's what it says. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Here it is. Look at what it says. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. If we do not give up. I want you to look at the very first part of verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. And again, it's, it's so easy for you and I just to, to kind of read over that where it says, do not be deceived. But the thing that's really interesting about the fact when the Bible says, do not be, be deceived, the Bible is actually telling you and I that you need to perk up. You need to pay attention. Because the Bible is about to address something in your life, an area in your life where you think you've got it right. But the Bible's about to tell you that you've actually got it wrong. Anytime you see, do not be deceived, it's a time. Hey, time out. You need to pay attention. There's an area of your life where you think you have it right, but you actually have it wrong. So pay attention. Perk up. Because there's something I like to call self-deception. And to me, self-deception is what I call the most dangerous form of deception. Because here's the thing, listen to me. If you can deceive yourself, you can deceive anyone. Let's look at the entirety of that verse. Here's what it says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Deception. See, when I think about deception, I think about a lie. And when I think about a lie, there's one lie. One trap that we fall into when it comes to a lie. And let me show you what that lie is. The lie is that my choices today won't really impact my life tomorrow. That's the lie that most of us believe. My choices today won't really affect or really impact the outcomes in my life tomorrow. Because we have this tendency to believe that, that certain choices, they're not going to impact me. Certain choices are not going to impact me down the road. But there's the reality. The reality is the choices we make today, 
today, right now on the 22nd of October of 2023, will impact and affect the outcomes that I experience tomorrow. It's kind of a law. It's something that I call the law of consequences. Back to Galatians, you will reap what you sow. Now think about that, you will reap what you sow, because when you think about it, you really can't argue against that. I mean, think about it, right now I'm putting out pansies for my winter flowers. So if I'm planting pansies, I'm not going to get roses. If I plant tomato seeds, I can't hope that I'm going to harvest a watermelon. Because you're going to reap what you sow. And the thing that's really interesting about the human condition is that we have this tendency, this tendency to believe that what I call the law of consequences, it doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to us. I can just keep doing what I'm doing. I can keep lying and not get caught. I can let my temper fly and not damage my relationships. I can neglect the Bible and church attendance and worship and still have intimacy with God. I can put off that confrontation that I need to have with an underperforming employee and they'll turn around. I can avoid living my life in community and still encourage, preach, and foster community. I can keep flirting with that person that's not my spouse and allow my mind to inappropriately wander and think that it's not going to impact me. I think I can be prideful and still have a a humble heart. No, no, no. The message is really simple. You will reap what you sow. So I think from time to time we need to be confronted with a deep theological truth. And again, I can't really see, and I know there may be children in this audience and there may be children watching online who you may not want your children to hear this word because in my house we didn't say this word. So I don't know how you are as a parent and what your parenting skills you know, permit and don't permit, but there's a word here, the last word of what I'm going to put on the screen that we don't say, but we're going to say it this way, sin is, it's just a theological truth. It's just a reality to your life that sin is, I mean, again, look at Galatians 6, verse 8. Here's what it says. It says, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will read destruction. It tells you sin is stupid. But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will read eternal life. So what's he talking about when he's talking about pleasing flesh versus pleasing the Spirit? Well, he's actually borrowing from a text and from a teaching that he gave earlier in the letter that he wrote to the Galatians. Look at what he says in Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. He said, you, my brothers and sisters, now we've been talking about freedom. This is where this is at. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Because the flesh, look at what it says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are, we know this, they are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do 
whatever it is that you want. See, here's the thing that happened. When you gave your heart to Jesus, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. You accepted him as your Lord and Savior. You became a new creation. When you became a Christian, you became a new creation. You are forgiven now because you are in Christ. But even though you've been forgiven and you are in Christ, you know what you still are? You still are a human living on this earth. And there's this good cop, bad cop kind of thing that goes on in our life. There's this constant who you are versus kind of who you want to be. It's like this angel over here and the devil over here. You know know what I'm talking about? I was perusing through social media yesterday and I saw something by Dave Chappelle and it was kind of a, you know, I know, I know, I know. But it was a perfect illustration. There was the good voice and the bad voice, and, and, and it was trying to get him to go one direction or the other. See, it's hard for me to believe that, that, that three years ago next month in November, that will be the anniversary of when I actually moved from out in the county into the city limits. I've always loved living in the city. I mean, it's still kind of green acres for me where I'm at right now. Lots of land. Green acres is the place to be. I mean, I like it. But three years ago, we moved into the city. And again, I was looking forward to moving into the city because there were a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons why I wanted to live in the city because it's much easier for me to get home and go home quickly. Instead of me going all the way down West Main, out Highway 70, you know, about four or five miles down what we call Highway 70 or West Main, I just go down to where Publix is on Main Street, take a left on Blair Lane. Boom, I'm there. I mean, it's easy. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, I could do it so easy. And one of the things that's really interesting is this. I was looking forward to it so much that I could now go home for lunch, and it wouldn't take a lot of time out of my schedule. I could just go home. But here's the thing that's interesting about the change. I had made that other drive for like 20 years. And for the first few weeks after moving to my new house, I can't tell you how many times I drove right past Blair Lane. Because I was so used to going to the other house. Every time I would come to the intersection of West Main and Blair Lane, there was anxiety that would build up in me because I wanted to make sure I made the right choice. I needed to turn left. I needed to not go straight. And honestly, just last week, listen, listen, listen. Honestly, just last week, I went right past Blair Lane. And I thought, man, you're, you're an idiot. I'm happy to say right now that I am out of counseling and I'm off my anxiety medicine, okay? Because, again, it was so difficult for me to make the right choice. Now I don't have to even think about it. And you you say, well, why are you even telling us this? I'll tell you, because that's what Paul's talking about. In a roundabout way, that is exactly what Paul is talking about in what we just read. Every day in your life, you're going to be confronted with that intersection. And when you approach those intersections, you're going to feel your heart pull you towards lust. You're going to feel your heart pull you towards pride. You're going to feel your heart pull you towards greed. When you know you should make the turn, you're going to want to go straight towards greed or pride or lust or back to making everything all about you. Or, again, back toward playing it safe. But see, Paul says when you identify with the Spirit, when you identify with Jesus in you, you're essentially saying, I'm, I'm going to make the turn. I'm going to go left because I don't go that direction anymore. I'm going to go left. I'm going to make a turn at the light because 
that's not the way that I want to go anymore. It doesn't take me where I want to go. It doesn't take me where I want to go because it's not who I am. Life is this way and death is that way. And, and then there's always this question that I get from people. And it's a legit question. And the question is this. Does the struggle actually go away? The struggle between, you know, making the turn or going straight, doing the right thing or doing what the flesh wants you to do. And again, the struggle, the answer to the question is this. It doesn't entirely go away. I mean, if I'm honest with you, I'll tell you, the struggle does not entirely go away. The old battles that you used to have, they just get turned into new battles. That in some way, those new battles seem easier. And in some ways, those battles seem harder. But there comes a point in your life when you're in Christ, when you're in Jesus, that the renewed mind... speaks to you at that intersection. And where every time you're at that intersection of going left or going straight, doing what the Spirit wants or doing what the flesh wants, the mind speaks to you and the battle is not the battle that it was before. Let me give you a question I want every one of us to look at this morning. You probably already saw it just a moment ago, but here it is. What am I sowing in my life right now that I'm not going to want to reap? Don't think about it later. Think about it now. What am I sowing right now in my life that I know I do not want to reap? If you're a parent, are you sowing patience and love and laughter into the lives of your children? If you're here or online listening and you're married, are you sowing honor and purity into your sexual relationship with your partner, your marriage partner? Are you sowing purity really? Are you really sowing that? In your financial life, are you sowing generosity? Let me tell you, it, it, it's easy right now to bow out and say, you know, I just can't, I can't do it, I can't give, I can't help, you know. I mean, it's really easy. But in your life right now, are you sowing generosity? What about your friendships? Are you sowing loyalty? What about your speech? Are you sowing truth? Or maybe with a team at work, are you, are you sowing trust? Are you believing the best about the team? Are you believing the best about people? See, I know, I know, I know you and people watching online, you could give lots of different answers to those questions, but could the question we have to ask start to be, well, maybe it starts with me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's what I'm sowing. Because, see, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be really open and honest with you today. I've spent a lot of time being jealous of other pastors. I've spent a lot of time being jealous of other ministries and what they might be doing and what they might have instead of doing what God has called me to do. Again, that's the trap. That's the trap of all this social media stuff. You look at your stuff, I look at my stuff, we compare our real everyday life to the highlight reel of another ministry, another church, another person's life. We compare our terrible mediocre life to the highlight reel they're sh they're not showing you the bad stuff they're showing you just the highlights but you're thinking man what a life and i'm over here in the sewer and you compare your life to their life and it's not really comparing but here's the thing comparing always kills it always kills listen to me if you want to change what you're reaping, then you got to change what you're sowing. You can't plant tomatoes. If you don't like tomatoes, then don't plant tomato seeds. 
you're going to reap what you sow. So the first question is, what am I sowing now that I may not want to reap later? Look with me at Galatians 6 verse 9. Here's what it says. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I told you a few weeks back, I don't have a quitting spirit. See, I can look over here and there's no, there was nobody in this section. Nobody. There's one, one, maybe one person now. That's usually pretty full. But even though I look there, I know what God has called me to do. I don't have a, a quitting spirit. I'm not going to give up. What am I sowing now that I don't want to reap later? That's where we started. But here's another question. Where am I weary of doing good? Can we just be honest? Do you ever get weary? Oh, Lord Jesus. Do you ever get weary of doing good? As a teacher? As a boss? As an employee? Do you ever get weary of doing good as a parent or a grandparent? Do you ever get weary of doing good as a ministry leader? I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I can get weary of pouring myself into teaching God's Word every week. I can. Because, see, here's the thing. I want you to hear me. Hear me. If I work to make it simple so people understand it, you know what people do? They complain that I'm not deep enough. They're not growing. They're not getting fed. But then if I go deep, people say, why can't you make it more practical? I get weary. I get weary of doing good. I'm weary of pastoring people. Because I pour my life into people. And the smallest little thing happens, and you know what they do? They leave. They leave the church and they go somewhere else. I'm weary. And so are many of you. You're like, I'm tired of, I'm tired of sowing patience with my family. I'm tired of sowing patience with my, my, my employees. I'm tired of it. They take advantage of me. They're ungrateful. They don't get it. I'm tired of honoring my husband. I'm tired of honoring my wife. He doesn't have a clue how hard I work. She doesn't have a clue how hard I work. My husband doesn't have a clue what it takes to keep the house and the kids together while he's at work. I'm weary. But Paul says, what does he say? What is it he says? He says, don't grow weary. Why? 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 Because you will reap what you sow. Don't grow weary because you will reap what you sow. And see, I think there's a real interesting question that needs to be looked at here. And it's a question that no doubt someone is thinking about this question at this very moment. Okay, I get it, Randy, but is there an exception to the law of consequences? Is there an exception to the universal law that you will reap what you sow? And I'll tell you, I don't know if there's an exception, but I know there's an interruption. And that interruption is found in Romans 6, verse 23. Here's what it says. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, here's the crossroads, listen to me. Here's the reality. No matter how many times you come to that intersection in your life, no matter how many times you come to the intersection and you make the correct turn, the reality is that you're going to come to that same intersection at some point in your life and you're going to make some wrong turns. And for all of your striving and all of your pursuit of moral perfection, 
Listen to me this morning. You've got to hear this. You are always going to fall short of the glory of God. Always. So what does God do? He intervenes. And he provides a righteousness that you could never get on your own. Because at the cross, Jesus Christ is absorbing the penalty. He's paying your price. Think about it this way. At the cross, listen, listen, Jesus is reaping what you sowed. And hear me on this. This idea of do not be deceived, you will reap what you sow. It's, it's, it's not like you better do the right thing or God's going to get you. That's not that at all. See, most of you know that I have grandchildren. Five grandchildren. And can I just say that they're growing up so fast. And when they're, when they're around me, they're going full speed. More than I can handle, okay? It's like Red Bull full speed, okay? They are going Red Bull full speed all the time. And honestly, part of the thing that I love the best as a grandparent is watching the things happening in their lives. And actually, it's the things that their parents send me. The little reels, the little videos, the things they post on Instagram or post on Facebook. Because those things are the highlights when it comes to the lives of my grandchildren. Things they're doing at home, things they're doing at school. You know, corn maze, Oktoberfest trips. It's those kind of things. All the fun things. And see, every time my, 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 my children send me pictures and videos of my grandchildren, it just causes me to think and look at our world and then wonder, what, what are their lives really going to be like? Not, not that I have some kind of cra crazy, grandiose dreams for the lives of my grandchildren. But you know, there's one thing I do pray for my grandchildren is that each of them will fall in love with Jesus. Now, most of you know we just finished fall break. It seems like we're still on it <laughs> if you look at the attendance. But it, it was fun for me to see and hear about all that they were doing in Florida because they were in Florida and I was still here. Don't give me a hard time. I know. I, I get it. I understand. I should have been there. And even though most of all the things that I saw was a lot of fun stuff, you know, even though I saw them having fun down at Seaside and Rosemary and Alice Beach, it made me realize that one day my grandchildren, who are like 9 to 18 months, they're going to face some of the same intersections in their life that you and I have had to face in our life. And you know, I, I'm a realist. I know that my grandchildren are going to come to those intersections and there's no doubt that one or two of them are going to make some decisions at that intersection and that decision is going to devastate me and knowing that causes me to spend some sleepless nights on my knees praying for God's mercy on their life praying for them just like my mom and dad and my grandparents prayed God's mercy on my life but see here's the thing I know No matter what turns my grandkids take in life at those intersections, they're still my grandkids. But I want more for them than just that. See, I want my grandkids to love their family better than I have loved my family.
I want them to love their kids better than I have loved my kids. I want them to love the Lord more than I love the Lord right now. Because I want them to live life to its fullest. But here's the thing. If they don't do any of that, it doesn't change the fact that they're still my grandchildren. But I'm going to do everything I can in my power to help guide them to live the life that I know they should live. Because I want them to have joy and love and life. But either way, whatever decision they make, listen, listen, they're still my grandchildren. That's what I believe God wants you to know today. You're still his son. You're still his daughter. There's nothing you could do right in your life or wrong in your life that would make him love you any more or any less than he loves you right now in this very moment but at the very same time I feel like he's saying but there's more he wants for you I feel like God is saying to you I know how you feel when you pull up to that intersection towards sin remember you're going to reap what you sow and God says even at that intersection if you make the wrong turn you're still my son you're still my daughter because you never graduate from my grace Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, what a beautiful thought, what a beautiful thing that in this moment right now, you could love us no more or no less than you do right now. Doesn't matter what we do, you could love us no less or no more than you do right now. Because the penalty that we deserve to pay has been paid by your son Jesus we just know that there's freedom found in being filled with the spirit and walking in the spirit and turning away from the desires of the flesh but even if at that intersection we make the wrong turn son or your daughter God may we never forget that we can walk in the freedom that's available to us through Jesus Christ because who the son sets free is free indeed where are you today in your relationship with Jesus Christ have you made him the Lord of your life those lyrics said just a moment ago he is everything he said he would be and today he can be your redeemer he can be your forgiver he can be your friend he can be your leader and he can be your lord maybe right now where you're seated in this auditorium or somewhere in an office in a home you just need to pray god right now i want to experience the freedom that's available to me in jesus God, right now, I look to Jesus to be the author and the finisher of my faith. Turning from my life of sin, realizing that the penalty has been paid by Him, and accepting that as my own. I repent, I turn from the life I've been living and towards Jesus. Letting His blood wash over me, cleanse me, so that I can be the person that you've called me to be. And that I can experience the love that is unconditional and that is found in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, if you prayed that prayer here this morning or online, let us know that. 
we want to take you to the next step, which is baptism. An outward sign of an inward decision. God, for the rest of us, let this be a day that we look back on, that we drove a stake in the ground and that we said we will live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. God, we thank you for this time of worship and teaching as we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. stand together. surprise visit you I don't like people catching me in my underwear watching TV either okay so anyway but we may reach out to you we may send you a card may send you an email uh, the most important part is the backside where there's a prayer request place if you have a prayer need or know somebody who needs prayer uh, we would love to be able to have our team pray for you or for them tear that off from the worship card leave that with your offering if that's cash or check today you'll drop that in the offering bucket you can always mail your giving to the address you see on the screen behind me. You can also give online, crossroadslebanon.com forward slash give. There are also two giving kiosks in the lobby. If you use a bank card, you can give out there. I don't 
I didn't know where I was going this week. I don't know where I'm going next week if we'll continue in this series or if we'll start something new. Nevertheless, I'm going to be here Wednesday of this week from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. for our call to prayer. It happens every Wednesday in this auditorium. You come, you go, you pray, you sit, you stand, you kneel, you do whatever works for you in an environment of prayer as we pray for our community, our, com our church, our country, our families, our leaders. Uh, I, I would ask you to join me. Again, you may say, well, I can do that from home. You can, but it's not the same. Join us here between 4 and 6 p.m. Stay as long as you want or as little as you want. If not, I'll see you back here next Sunday. It's going to be a beautiful week. Get your pansies out, okay? Have a great week, and we'll see you either Wednesday or we'll see you on Sunday.